in a nutshell, James Serby is really smart. Um, he also is one of the people behind Rebel Performance. Um, it kind of like started off as like a, a bit of a podcast, but then we also talked about Train, which is a conglomerate of different trainers putting out different programs under the same umbrella. Um, and then he's also part of what Rebel Performance offers primarily, which is mentorship and just ongoing education and insight and knowledge, primarily for people who are trainers. And so that's why he's on my podcast, because this is someone that puts out stuff or is around the stuff that I consume and it makes me smarter. And so we were able to talk about his experiences and my experiences and talk about how um, it feels the sky is falling and we're stuck in our house. And I hope that you enjoy it and share it with your friends. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at yegfitness. So welcome to episode 106 with the one and only James Serby. How are you doing today? Ah, things are good, man. It's a little a little overcast and rainy here in Northern California, but overall, overall, I can't complain. What's what's the state of things where you're at? Like for me, like I am supposed to stay at home pretty much all the time unless I need groceries, and that's about the only thing I go outside for unless I am like uh, distance from people on a walk outside. What, what's life like for you? Same deal. Yeah, we have a shelter in place for the entire state, so. In theory, I am not supposed to leave unless I'm heading to a hospital or a grocery store. Um, but we can still fortunately kind of like go out for a walk and just be respective of, you know, people's personal bubbles. Um, nobody yet has told me that I can't go on a walk. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, like walks are pretty imperative to, to people's health, whether it be like the daylight or the fresh air and stuff like that. So it's good that uh, people are doing that. There was something that happened here in Edmonton couple days ago there's like these popular like stairs that people go on for like running up the stairs and there's probably like a hundred people gathered around there so the video footage kind of went viral and they got called out for it but uh other than that people have been pretty respective of it all good dude yeah i mean it's it's strange times (laughs) that's like all all i can really say it's like strange times for everybody it's it's hitting everybody it's impacting everybody it's just in slightly different ways um we will be okay. Like we'll come out of it. It's just going to be a, a rough couple of months probably. All right. So like I want to introduce you to my audience. My audience is going to be a lot different than like Dean Guido's audience. My audience is, as far as I know, a lot of like fitness enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of female listeners. So it'd be cool to kind of like introduce you to them. Um, if you were at a family reunion and you hadn't seen those people in 10 years, how would you reintroduce yep. yourself to them? They know a little bit about you, but you have to like bring them up to speed with what you've been up to in the last 10 years. Yeah, sure. So I would tell them that I am a co-owner and help run a strength and conditioning company called Rebel Performance. That is kind of a two-headed monster. So head number one is all about kind of training. 
this apex athlete concept that we've come up with. And then head number two is all about development. So we're very fortunate that the vast majority of people who come to work with us are coaches and trainers, gym owners, physical therapists, generally speaking, educated meatheads. Um, and so we also offer kind of like group mentorships and education products for them to help them develop better training models and have a better business in place, kind of like make more money, win back their time. So we kind of have both sides of the business going. One is very much delivering training programs and coaching. The other one is helping coaches kind of learn some stuff about training and business, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of the whole system. Um, I've had Kyle Dobbs on the podcast before mm-hmm. and also your podcast. I listened to most of the episodes. What first inspired you to start your own podcast? <laughs> um, I honestly was kind of uh, the joke I like to make, but it's not that much of a joke, was that it was an excuse to um, just chat with my friends for an hour and call it work. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but so that was one. Uh, the biggest one, though, is so when I was leaving graduate school, so I was in grad school um, for about the past, we'll say, better part of three years. Um, my favorite aspect of grad school was the conversations that got to take place. So whether or not, like, we were sitting in the lab or like we're in a journal club or in a meeting or you're just like in the break room kind of chatting and having lunch. The conversations were the best part for me because that's where I think the most learning would take place. Somebody would pose a question and then it was pretty much just like an open forum of a lot of very small, very small, very smart people. (laughs) Sorry. A lot of very smart people sitting in one room kind of trying to flush out these ideas, put them on a whiteboard. So that's what I enjoyed most about that experience of kind of like being in a traditional lab graduate school setting. And so when I left, the question was, how can I try to keep that as part of my day-to-day life as best I can? Because um, otherwise, like, I'll kind of like lose my mind if I don't have other people to talk to about this stuff. So that was, that was the big one. What first inspired you to kind of jump into the training industry? And what was your process for kind of like evolving yourself or growing yourself with uh, where you're at now? For sure. So my background, I think it's probably pretty similar to a lot of people who get into it. So I first got into training to be a better athlete. So I played football, basketball, and baseball growing up throughout high school. Um, Late in high school is when I really started to specialize more predominantly in baseball. And so most of it started out of my own interest to figure out how do I make myself bigger, faster, and stronger so that I can be better than these other people I play against and win and go to college and do this thing that I love doing. And the hope was obviously right to go play professionally and do that whole gambit. Um, kind of along that process, start trying to like dive into the weeds a little bit and understand what's going on. Um, like I was always very interested in like, what is it that makes this person bigger, faster and stronger? Like, why is it that doing this in the weight room has an impact that I can notice when I go in the field, right? Like why do I do these things? And then I can go and my vertical jumps better or like my 40 got better. Or now I notice that like balls I used to hit in the gap for doubles are actually starting to like make their way out of the yard. So that started very much as like a personal interest. So you start reading, learning as much as you can in your own. The biggest one for me though is kind of like as my athletic journey took place, uh, I just started running into injury problems. So like stress fractures in my back, pulled quads, like all sorts of issues. If you name it, it probably took place. And so I came out of college um, a little bit jaded towards 
training and physical therapy and kind of things in that realm because I just I felt like the the models that were used with me were incomplete. Um, I thought that it could be done better, and so that was really like the I think the fire that started it all was saying, okay, how can I look back on how I was managed as an athlete in terms of like the training, the nutrition, the physical therapy, all of it. Like what did I not like about that experience and where can it be improved so that I can make these big, fast, strong and powerful athletes who aren't breaking down all the time. And so that was literally, that was probably the biggest one for me. It was very selfish in the beginning. It was how do I do it for myself and then how can I help other people do it now too? Yeah, I like that. Um, something that sort of st stands out to me, and I guess it's probably how I found you in the first place, was like, I'm friends with Dean Guido, and so he was part of your train program. Um, mm -hmm. what, what sort of inspired that whole system? Like, what got you thinking about that? So train was born out of a desire to try to bring together a lot of very good coaches who all look at things through slightly different lenses. So I think if you took the, the group as a whole, so training for people who don't know, it's, it's a membership group. The way it works, like when you sign up, we essentially have like a, a library of programs you get access to. You can think of it kind of like Netflix is how Zach Couples actually termed that, so I'm stealing it from him. Uh, he called it the Netflix of training in the sense that I wanted to have a platform full of programs written by amazing coaches that I knew did things the right way so that anybody coming in would be able to get a very high quality product for a very low price point. And the other thought there was that I want them to be able to train for whatever quality they're chasing right now. So like if you want to try to be the complete package, then we have programs that are biased and written for you to become the complete package. If you really just want to get strong right now, we have strength programs. If you want to try to get as jacked as you can right now, we have hypertrophy programs. If you feel like you need some more foundation and movement work, we have movement-based programs. So the, the goal was to put everything in one place so that once an athlete or person comes in, they have everything they need under one roof. And as their interests change, as their goals change, as their needs change, they're able to find what they need right there and they can jump from program to program pretty easily because you have people that say, well, maybe I wanna run a strength block right now and really focus on that for the next 12 to 16 weeks. But then they come out saying, okay, well, now I'd rather do something a little bit more athletic and so they can go do that. Well, maybe now I want to focus on getting more jacked and putting on muscle. So now I can go do that. Yeah. Um, so, so the goal is just to try to compile that all in one place because I didn't see anywhere else that had done that yet. Yeah, no, I liked it. I liked the structure of it and everything, and there's definitely a lot of value in that. Um, one thing that got me thinking, especially since we're in the middle of a pandemic and we can kind of relate on the, the situation that we're in. Um, when I, when all of this first happened, when the gym that I train out of first closed, the first thing I thought of was it reminded me of like the start of my training career. It's like, where are we going to get money? And like, <laughs> <laughs> and it just like, that's what I could correlate it with. So I'm just wondering if there's any point in your career where you were just like, Oh no, like I've been here before I can handle it. Was there a point in your career that you just, it kind of reminded you of a time? What's going on right now? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, working unpaid internships. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I did back-to-back -back unpaid internships, first at um, formerly Cressy Performance, now Cressy Sports Performance, and then I went to Indianapolis Fitness and Sports Training with um, Bill Hartman and Mike Robertson. 
So I did both of those back to back. So that came out to about ballparkish. What was that? Six to eight months of essentially not having an income. Um, so yeah, like I've been there before where like, you don't really know where the money is coming from. And so you just figure out how to make it work. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and yeah, like you do, right. You get lean. Um, the things that you would have spent money on before you don't spend money on now. Um, every little bit counts. I think like, it's also a good opportunity for people to take a step back and like reflect on what really is important in life. Right. Like, I have an amazing, beautiful, wonderful fiance who I get to see every single day right now. Like we love our dog. We're getting to spend tons of time together. Uh, she has a great family that we get to see routinely also. So like the things in life that really matter are still there. Um, like we're, I think pretty fortunate to not be in super dire circumstances right now. Cause like there are plenty of people out there who right, are living paycheck to paycheck and don't have an income. There are plenty of families, especially in the U S where, Right, like their kid relies on a publicly funded lunch that comes from their public school, but the schools are closed. And so like, how are they getting fed? It's like, those are real problems. Um, like my current decrease or lack of income is not like a, that huge of a problem compared to what other people are going through. Like we can still put food on the table. Like we're not in threat of not paying our mortgage. We're getting to spend a lot of quality time together. So things are going to be okay in the long run. Just kind of got to make it work. Yeah, I love that way of framing it. Just some perspective and some like actually using some gratitude. That's something that I preach quite often, but I sometimes I feel like that hippy dippy trainer that just just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like tone her down there, bud. <laughs> but um For sure. it's imperative in these times. Like people need to use what they got. Like if you're like for me, I'm a bachelor, so I'm spending a lot of time by myself. I was making jokes, I drew a face on a basketball, and I was like, hey, this is my new friend Reebok. <laughs> and so it's like, just like straight Tom Hanks, right? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Uh, you have to have like your routine to keep yourself grounded and stuff. Like what was your first, uh, what was your first instinctual thought? The first unpaid internship you went into, did you automatically think, Oh, I got to lean out. I got to think positive. I have to keep myself motivated or, or what happened to you in that moment? Um, I don't know. Like I've, I think I've always like lived pretty lean. Um, like growing up, growing up, like in, like a very middle-class family. Uh, I think I was very fortunate to have parents early on who hammered home like the things that truly matter in life in terms of family and friends. So I've never been a stuff person, right? Like we were by no means rich, but we weren't poor. And I think came to value the things that truly matter. Granted, like that's from my own perspective. So like if other people have things that they truly value in life, that's great. Um, but for me, it's like, the people that are in your life that you care about, like, do you have a shelter? Can you eat food? Like those things really are valuable and matter. And so like anybody can do some pretty simple math and figure out like these are, this is how much at a minimum I need to make on a month to month basis to make sure that I can take care of these essentials. And once you can do that, then like you should, you can kind of like rest or sleep a little bit easier. And so that was the same deal with the internships was just, doing the math, sitting down and saying, okay, I know I'm not getting paid here. So I know that I need to save money before going. And I know that I need to have a plan in place to make X amount of dollars per month while I'm there, just so I can hit my minimum threshold. Cause this isn't going to be my forever plan, right? Like I'm not going to be 
working for free for years on end. It's a pretty much like a one year gig. Um, so just doing the math and having actual objective numbers and then figuring out like, what do I need to do to hit these numbers on a monthly basis? I think a lot of people sometimes just won't, for whatever reason, like make it objective. Like I think once you actually write it on paper, like the number you have to hit becomes much easier to then actually put a plan in place to say, here's how I'm going to make it happen. Yeah, I totally agree. I think like when I first, because basically my jump into the fitness was I had a full-time job. It, it paid quite well. And then I was like, no, I'm done with this. It's time to go into fitness. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had my certification and everything, but I needed to get a job at a gym and it was not easy being already employed to get a job in the gym because they need like full availability. You can't like just sneak into it. You have to jump into it. And so like the first few weeks that I was like hustling, I just broke it down. I was like, okay, how much did I make to cover my bills? And then I broke it up into seven days and I was like, all right, I got to make an average of this amount per day. Yeah. Whether it's Bottle Depot, Odd Job, sell something on Kijiji, whatever I have to do, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> that's what made it work. Um, you got talking about family and stuff, and I'm all about that. I'm curious, like, what are the core values that your family instilled in you that you kind of like hold true to yourself today? So one, I think, is just the importance of family. Um, like family and friends, be, they stand above everything else. So like, if you don't have those two. I like talking about pillars. So like, I love to train, right? Like I love to lift. Um, I love working on my business. I love reading, educating and teaching, but all those things fall behind family and friends and they always will. So that was a big one. Um, like those things are, I think largely there. You just have to help keep the ship afloat, right? This is kind of like the analogy, but the, the family and friends come first was really big. Um, another big one, which kind of like hamstrings me on uh, social media, is that you don't, if you're good at what you do, you let other people talk about it for you. Like you don't brag, you don't boast, you don't draw attention to yourself. You go about your business and you get things done and you do great work and you don't ask for anybody to notice while you do so. Um, and so that's why I, I have a very difficult time with social media and trying to consistently like put content out on social media because it's very against just who I am and how I got brought up. And then another one is just like the value of hard work, right? I'm just very fortunate that runs all throughout like my family on both sides is just, you need to show up and you need to work hard every single day. You need to like earn the respect of the people that are around you. And none of that's ever going to be given. And to think that somebody's just going to hand you something is unrealistic. Uh, like if you want it, you have to go make it happen and take it. And don't expect anybody to look and try to like give you a handout. Uh, I think those are, those are a handful of the really big ones. Um, those are good ones. I like them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, my next thing is we're talking about home workouts a lot in the industry, whether it be like the trainers are putting out the home workouts or the people are trying to pick between home workouts or people are just tired of seeing them. I'm somebody mm -hmm. who's been putting out quite a few and like it's the way I see it is I know that this pandemic will pass and then I'm going to have a whole bunch of content mm -hmm. and not every video or not every demo or whatever is going to be valid for for everybody like one person's not going to latch on to a hundred percent of the pieces 
but perhaps like that'll be like my my entry point or my my communication factor for one person discovering me but interesting points have been brought up in the way that uh your traditional home workout that you might see with some some crunches and stuff it's not necessarily easy to progress or to uh, yeah. <laughs> create like you, you just sprinkle it on and you have fun and then you're done so i've definitely seen some really good technique coming out of like just the the rebel performance crew on just really like uh, almost periodizing like home workouts or at least adding more structure and adding some progression so what what are the pillars for that from your perspective yeah so the hardest part when you get stuck in your house is twofold one like we essentially lose the ability to regulate load which is the variable in question right like that's just how we progressively overload the system over time um and number two is exercise selection as well goes down the tubes because we just don't have much to play with assuming that the most people have is maybe a kettlebell and two dumbbells if they're lucky, right? A lot of people just have a backpack and then they can put stuff in it. So then the question becomes, all right, so how do I work around these major kind of like hurdles, especially for our group of people who are very much performance oriented? Um, like how do we at least hold on for them and decrease like the rate of decline? in terms of their strength and their hypertrophy, their power, their endurance, and all these other things we like to talk about. So you have a handful of options. So option number one is to rely on tempos more. So if I can't use load, then I can slow down the tempo of the movement to a pretty significant degree. It's called statodynamic training. Uh, it's essentially like if we want to use a squat as an example, right? I can take a squat and I can almost unload it entirely. And if you have to go three seconds down and three seconds up and you can't pause and you can't stop, and you're not allowed to lock out at the top or reach full depth of the bottom, you're going to realize after about 45 seconds to a minute, your quads and glutes start to pump pretty good, right? So that's one way for us to really dial up kind of the metabolic stress side of the coin. If we're talking peripheral muscular adaptation, hypertrophy. We're thinking you have two kind of like big levers that you can pull. Lever number one is mechanical tension. That is essentially out the window because that relies on load, right? So we have to figure out ways to dial up metabolic stress. And so if I use statodynamics and you're on this kind of like constant muscle tension and I'm essentially blocking the delivery of fresh blood and I'm blocking the removal of these byproducts that are made from metabolism, because the muscles like pinching these arteries and veins like hoses, I can dial up the metabolic stress component and at least feed the system something there to help maintain as much as we can. Right. And I say maintain. So you're going to maintain if you're like an advanced athlete, but if you're someone who doesn't work out that much, like you can see like really good progress off of that. And the best way to progress those is you just increase the volume over time. So maybe I do three sets of, 10 reps with a 60 second rest and the next week I do four sets the next week I do five sets pretty much you can approach it that way uh the other thing you're going to want to make sure you do is to manage your aerobic work capacity so don't let that fall off fortunately like that's not hard to kind of like keep up even if you're just in your apartment like that's just do something that gets your heart rate up and makes you breathe heavy right like if you are in an apartment with stairs go like run up and down the stairs a bunch if you can't leave your apartment do 100 burpees on the floor for time um right like it's just 
conditioning, body weight, metcons, things that make you huff and puff for 10 to 30 minutes, we'll get the job done there. Again, like we're not, this is not optimal. We're just doing the best we can, but it's still a really nice option. And then you also want to make sure that we're maintaining some semblance of like central nervous system function and power output. So that's where your plyometrics are going to come into play. So you can do any form of plyos that you can think of, right? You can do like repeat squat jumps, split squat jumps, plyometric pushups, just kind of like really cranking that dial up as high as you can to make sure you're giving that input that's needed. And then the last one that you can use, again, this is kind of in that metabolic stress side of the story. You can use time sets and make it really glycolytic. So you can say, all right, we're going to do 30 seconds on as many reps as I can. I'm going to take 30 seconds off. I'm going to do that four times, right? Like if you try to do that with pushups, like by round three, even if you're a pretty like swole advanced dude, like you're going to be pumped out. Yeah. It'll wreck you. If you're doing it right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I don't care who you are. Eventually that catches up to you. So it's just figuring out ways to still apply stress to the system so that we have, you know, the signaling pathways turned on that are going to do something to help us maintain strength and jackness and some work capacity in these, in these times. Yeah. And I like how you outlined that too. What I saw a lot when this first happened was a lot of people were really quick to say, and I would, I shouldn't say a lot, maybe like three people that I knew of in the industry, they're quick to say that like, just scrap your home workout. You're not going to get anywhere. Focus on something else. Go for a walk, take it easy, read, sleep. And I was like, some people, some people need that physical exercise. And it's like, it's not that it's impossible to maintain a certain level of like strength and endurance and conditioning you just have to be clever about it and perhaps maybe you have to structure out these set times like using an interval timer for 30 seconds of work 30 seconds of rest and it's just this just brings out the creative in people like a lot of uh a lot of creative thinkers are thinking of things like uh using flower bags for resistance like there's there's plenty of heavy things in the house it's just a matter of if you have a yard and you have a wheelbarrow like just go do some good old fashioned manual labor. Like just go chop a tree down, throw it in the wheelbarrow and carry it to the other side of the yard. Yeah. Right? yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be complicated, but it's like, you just, it requires people, I think, to actually understand what's taking place under the hood. Cause if you don't know what's taking place under the hood and your normal tools are taken away, then you're like, Oh, fuck it. Like there's nothing we can do. But if you can actually like backtrack and understand what's taking place at a deeper level, you can backdoor your way into at least touching on some of the things that you want to make happen, right? Because doing nothing for potentially four weeks, however long this is going to last is a horrendous game plan and option, right? Like you will fall off a cliff if you do nothing for four weeks, one mentally for myself, if I couldn't work out for four weeks, I would lose my mind. But two, like for people that do kind of care about their performance, like doing nothing is the worst option on the table because if I were to like try to draw you two lines, right, your line is going to go straight down where like the person who's doing something that may not be perfect, but they're doing something like that's going to be much like the slope will be very different so that when we can go back to the gym, the person who actually did something can essentially pick up more or less where they left off while you are going to be tanked, right? Like, there's a good, so there's a study called the Dallas bed rest study. People can look up if they want to. So it was, a, it was done twice. So the first time it was done, it took some, some cyclists and they essentially put them into bed rest. So it's an, an extreme form of inactivity, right? Like, I don't remember the specifics, 
but essentially you get put into a bed and you're not allowed to leave the bed at all for something like a week, seven, eight days, somewhere in that time frame, right? Then they retest all of your like outputs and VO2 max and things like that to see how you do. And obviously like things fall off a cliff pretty rapidly. The other part of that study that was interesting is they brought people back to something like 30 or 40 years later, the same group of people, and they retested them without the bed rest. And so what you need to understand is that like something on the ballpark of seven days of bed rest was worse for these people than 40 years of aging. So do something, right? Like anything is better than nothing. Yep. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. One thing that got me thinking when you talk about your um, internships, uh, you got to do these internships under some pretty cool people. Um, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're in like this confirmation bias? Like you're just, you're wanting to confirm what you deem to be the right thing based on who you look up to kind of thing. Have you ever found yourself having to kind of stray off course to kind of figure out what other people are up to and then decide, um, based on like third party, whether, whether you were wrong or whether you were right? Yeah. I think early in my career, I was way too rigid and married to things. And then with time and just more reading and more education, you become far more open to what's all is out there. Um, I think that's just the nature of maturity a little bit. Cause yeah, definitely early on, like I kind of had like a very too narrow of a mindset of, Oh, this is how we have to do things because like I'm fresh off these internships. I learned so much from these two people. It was like, and if it didn't fit within these like really nicely drawn lines I'd put in for myself, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to look at it. Like, it's worthless, right? And then over time, like, those lines essentially dissolve and go away, and you get more comfortable because you have, like, models, and you actually understand what's taking place. And so you can look at something and figure out, okay, like, what can I pull from this? What do I like about this? Where can this fit into what I'm doing? Um, that's one of those things I think that just takes time for people. Like, I think any trainer early in their career falls into that trap of being way too rigid and narrow in how they look at things. It's very much like, it's themselves and then whoever they look at as being right versus everybody else. When in reality, most people are talking about very similar things. They're just putting their own spin on it. Um, so like, there's no reason to get into these kind of like us versus them mindsets. It's, it doesn't help anybody. Also, if you're like stuck in your echo chamber full of all the people with the same ideas, oh, like, yeah. you worst. lose out on big opportunities. It's like you could learn something that could like be groundbreaking for a client or for a new system. And then you're missing out because you said no, because it's not what your buddies were, were saying yes to kind of thing. Yeah. A yes, man. Echo chamber is just hell on earth. Like, if you find yourself in one of those, just leave. I mean, <laughs> I don't care like what else you do, like go read anything else, do something else. Um, yeah. Like that's, what's dangerous is when you usually have this one air quote expert and then you have all these people underneath that air quoted expert. And it's just like this terrible, just yes game where like no one questions the expert. And then everybody beneath the expert just goes and says it like it's fact. And it's just, it starts, yeah, nothing good comes from that. So don't do that. Don't yeah, be that person. Absolutely. I'm going to give you some context to help you answer my next question. So the context is like me being a podcast host, I do these episodes with guests and then I do daily 12 minute episodes. And so mm -hmm. I'm like putting in all this work, but I'm not at like the goal where I want to be at. And so I have a friend that I do like these mastermind and I'm doing air quotes, but like, it's just like, 
two friends that hang out from totally different industries and she gives me like critical feedback of what I'm doing and then anything that I have like knowledge of I can implement some critical feedback to what she's doing and then I'm able to like take that in and hopefully apply it and one of the most recent things she said to me was it was basically like how I promote my podcast and she kind of gave me some things to work on and like the first initial reaction I was like I can't do that I was like I'm not gonna do that (laughs) it's just like I think that's what we're kind of programmed to do. And the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, like it probably would help my my podcast grow because it was just, she's basically teaching me how to teach my audience more about the people that I'm having on and teach my audience more about me, which I wasn't doing very well. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever had an instance where you were like, I don't want to do it. And then you did it and you had a breakthrough. I think that happens about any time people are forced to like step outside their comfort zones. Um, I think anytime you start to flirt with that line, like that's kind of, you get those like weird butterflies, like the roadblocks start getting thrown up. You're like, no, 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 no. Don't want to do this. Um, But I think like when you start to realize that it probably means you're heading in the right direction. And it's, it's merely like you just need to spend more time with it. I think more than anything Um, like that's, kind of how like I study and acquire new information right so if I'm trying to get into a new topic or like back in grad school if I was studying for a test right like the first time I'm seeing material it's usually like I it was, it was so like hard and frustrating to try to like place it in my brain so that I owned it and it always would start off the same way like I would always be really mad and frustrated and just like trying to work my way through this and like I just like I can't get it I can't get it I can't get it and then like as I kind of get into that mode, like I know that I'm really close and I know I'm doing the right thing. Cause I know it comes after that mode, which is like, eventually it clicks and I get it and it's mine and I own it. But I have to go through that initial period of being like totally frustrated and angry and uncomfortable before I can actually get the reward on the back end. I like it. How did you come across Kyle Dobbs? Oh, Kyle and I originally met down in, the jungle of Costa Rica at one of Ben House's retreats. Um, we had known of each other prior to that just because we ran in very similar circles. Um, but that was the first time that we ever had the opportunity to meet in person and hang out. So the jungle was the catalyst, hey? The jungle was the catalyst. Yeah, we got like partnered together on some uh, different tasks. Uh, and it was, just, it was a lot of fun getting to hang out with Kyle. He's an amazing dude. Uh, I always joke that he's kind of like my older brother um from the midwest much taller than i am um but yeah he's he's a just really good down to earth very smart individual who does a great job of like helping coaches trainers and other people kind of advance their careers who are three people in the industry um at any point in your life that you really look up to that you really admire Oh boy, that's a tough one. That's a really long list. Um, <laughs> so like we could, there are a lot of places we could start with that. I'm going to try to do this and not leave people out. Can I go more than three? Oh yeah. Okay, just because like I've had so many people influence me in one way or another. Um, so obviously like the entire team at Cressy Performance. So that being like Eric, Pete, who's the business manager, Greg Robbins, Tony Gentlecore, uh, Chris Howard, like everybody that was at Cressy was out like huge. Uh, everybody at IFAST again, 
So like Bill Hartman, Mike Robertson, Lance Goyke, Ty Terrell, and Jay, like huge. Um, like I very much stand on the shoulders of giants in those respects. Um, like other people, like, yeah, like, I, feel like I just learned so much from everybody I meet. Um, like Pat Davidson, Ben House, Zach Couples, uh, like Kyle, um, who are other people I'm meeting, Ryan LeCure. Uh, yeah, like I'm sure I'm leaving people off this list, but yeah, like all those people have taught me, Mike T. Nelson. Um, they've all had influence. Andrew Triana, um, they keep coming back to me here. Yeah, like all those people are huge. Like I learn from all of them and consistently take from them as much as I can because they're all just like smart, incredible, brilliant humans that bring things to the table that can improve what I do. And I hope that when I have conversations with them, I'm providing some type of value in return so they can do the same. Um, yeah, it's very difficult for me to say just three. It would also be dependent like on topic. Um, like my people in grad school were huge as well, but like that's just a very different type of influence, if that makes sense. Like my direct advisor, Joel Trinity was amazing. The postdoc, two postdocs I were closely with were Ryan Brockstroman and Jesse Craig, who were incredible. Uh, the PhD student with me was, uh, why am I totally blanking right now? Um, uh, Taylor LaSalle, like all had huge influences just in a different way than the other people did. So I think I'm very fortunate kind of like in every step along the journey so far to have like found really good people and mentors that are willing to teach me and help me become less dumb. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can relate to the whole, I just need people to help me be less dumb. That's all. <laughs> yeah. So, Cause it's, like, it's a never ending journey. And that's the thing. It's like the smarter you get, the dumber you realize you actually are. That's, that's a great sentiment for people to like, let sink in. Like, even if you get to be really smart, you're still, you're still kind of dumb, like in a yeah, progressive like, way. <laughs> Exactly. If you go into academia and you like, you can go into academia and meet people who have spent 50 years of their life, like literally their entire career studying like one very small piece of human physiology and you go have a conversation with them and they'll be like, yes, I feel like I'm very, I'm very barely beginning to scratch the surface. Right. And it's like, they're generally the most humble people in the room. It's like the young person who really hasn't read or learned that much is the dangerous one um, from my experience. Yeah. <laughs> Having no, <been> yeah. <laughs> I think uh, it's just like you said, it's basically let other people tell your story, let other people promote you and just focus on your body of work, put in, put in the effort. I was chatting with Dean Guido yesterday and um, we were talking about our posts on social media. He had just released an episode yesterday and he was like, ah, oh, I didn't get the traction that I wanted. And I was like, well, it was a freaking awesome episode. And then I was like, yeah, and I posted a video and I was like, oh, it didn't get the traction I wanted. And like he said, it was a pretty good video. So it's like <laughs> you just you focus on the stuff that you're working on and just like mm -hmm. build into it, build into it, build into it and let it become something. Um, are you a person that sets goals? Like, do you set like five year goals, 10 year goals, yeah. one year goals? Yes. What, what's your one year goal? For what? Just, well, I guess like, let's say holistic goal, like you can call it business. You can call it like the way you want your life to look, however you're comfortable with speaking to. 
mm-hmm. just kind of want to see inside your brain because like i know i set goals and mine are definitely more on like the full life like me outside of the gym me inside the gym but uh you might be the same you might be different yeah so i tend to try to break it down into kind of like professional goals which are very much going to be business related goals and those will work their way down uh i usually have kind of like life quote-unquote life goals or relationship goals um and then i have training specific goals those are kind of like my big the big three areas where i'm consistently trying to improve um the training and the business goals are a little bit easier because they can be very objective. Like I can actually put numbers on those and I can measure like how good I've been at moving towards those goals. Right. So like in the training realm, for example, my goals this year are to deadlift 600 back squat, 500 and bench 350 um, with a handful of other things, but those are the primary focus. Um, like those have been numbers for me for a very long time that I've wanted to hit. I got within 15 pounds of each of them before grad school and then grad school and training tend to not really get along super well. So those kind of fell off, but we have a a really nice plan in place and we're, we're moving towards those. So like those are the training goals, business goals. Those are going to be largely kind of, I think the top down goal is going to be revenue. So like, what do I want business revenue to look like on a month to month basis? But before that, I think you also have to go through and, be able to aptly define what success is for you. Because if you don't know what successful is for you, then it's very difficult to, I think, parse down and set the goals for yourself. Because like if you need to make $500,000 a year to quote unquote be successful because success to you means buying fancy cars and having a huge house and all these material things, like that's very different than someone who's like, hey, I just, like if I can make six figures and have a nice little house and you know only work five hours a day and have more work-life balance, like if that's your success, those are very different stories. So you have to, I think, sit down and like very much audit yourself and figure out what does that success story look like for you and draw it out. I think what you said, like, what does it look like in five years? What does it look like in three? What does it look like in one? And then you work your way back to, these are the things I need to be doing today to make sure I'm on track to hit these goals. Um, But yeah, so the business goals are usually gonna be kind of like top line revenue and then it's very kind of objective and key result based from that point on of now I have an objective. So I need to line up what the key results are. And once you have the key results, it's about figuring out, okay, what are the things that have to happen to make these key results take place? Yeah. I like that. And it kind of reminds me of what you spoke to on like your experience in internship and stuff. It's just like, you got to break down what you need and then mm-hmm. go get it sort of thing. Yep. Oh dude, I, I can't believe I forgot this person. Uh, for your question earlier on people, yeah, I totally forgot. He's he's one of my Canadian friends. Um, <laughs> uh, John Goodman from the Personal Trainer Development Center was like my very first business coach. So I will put him in as well as having a, a huge influence on everything that ends up taking place. I just didn't want to forget John. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, like I really like what he's been doing with uh, sort of opening up his arms to sort of help people out during this time. Um, I find him to be quite genuine because we live in a world where it's really hard to trust a person that titles himself as a business coach. But Mm -hmm. um, he's done a lot of like very high integrity based things. And um, I'm curious, like what, what has been the thing that stood out to you about him the most? Mm. Mm. He's very genuine. I think that's probably the biggest thing that stands out. 
he is a very genuine person. I think it's hard to find genuine people. Um, yeah, that'd be my, um, when you're kind of deciphering genuine people, like I found being a podcast host sort of like helps me with that filter. Um, training Mm -hmm. people helps me with that filter. What is your deciding factor as to how genuine a person is? Uh, I think you like eventually over time get a feel for like if this person is fake or not, like do they actually really care about the person in front of them or are they just trying to make a quick buck? I think that's probably one of the biggest differentiators for me. Um, and like John definitely cares about the people that he works with and takes under his wing and everybody involved with what he has going on now at PTTC, like his books, his courses, like he really does make those to generally want to help the people who are receiving them. Obviously that's the business model as well. So he receives money for that, but there is a genuine interest there in the person receiving the end product. I think like that's, very much why I'm a fan of Seth Godin. Like I think Seth Godin's very similar. Like he seems like a very empathic, genuine person. Uh, where it's about like you're doing something because it's your love and because you think it's actually genuinely helping the people who are going to spend money on what you're offering, as opposed to just saying, I'm gonna make this and sell it because it can make money. I don't really care about like the other stuff. If it can make me money, we're good. Like that that for me is a big differentiator. Yeah, I agree. I'm on the same page as you there. Like, it's just, yeah, you you can kind of tell based on a person's intentions and their actions, like actions speak louder than words. Like a person, Mm -hmm. a person can pump their own tires and say they're nice, or they can just go out in the world and be nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, there are so many ways to make money. And like, there, I think are plenty of successful business people who have taken the track of like, if it can make money, I'm going to figure out how to sell it. Like, I don't think I could ever do that. Um, like, for me, like the product that I'm selling has to be meaningful. It has to have some purpose for the person that's receiving it to help improve their life in some way. Otherwise, like I just, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's worthless to me. Like I don't really care. Yep. Yeah. You're like purpose driven. I think that might be the best expression I could use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you were going to give one piece of advice to someone on how to live their site, eh, live their life authentically to the fullest, what would it be? Hmm. I think the biggest thing there is that you, you have to define to kind of go back to this. You have to define what success is to you and it needs to be totally independent of what your parents say and what your friends say and what social media says and what you hear on the news. Like it needs to be 100% from you because if you can't, define what that is without the influence of other people telling you what it should be, then I don't think you can actually be authentic and be happy. Um, like if being authentically happy to you means making $45,000 a year, but getting to travel all the time and do X, Y, or Z things like that's fantastic. Like go make that happen and you're going to be super happy doing so. I think that where people run into issues is that they can't differentiate it from all the noise and influence that's being kind of like pummeled down their throat via social media and all the other things that are taking place in life right now. So that'd be my biggest one is you have to figure out how to define that thing for you and not let other people tell you what it should be. Otherwise, like you're just gonna be living their life and you're not gonna be living your own. Um, You will undoubtedly end up unhappy with the other with that former option. That's an awesome way to put it. And that 
basically wraps up all the questions I have for you. So uh, thank you for joining me today. Chris, no, this was a blast. I'm really glad we got to make this happen. So thank you for listening to this episode of The Lifestyle Chase. Um, if you are new here, my name is Chris Little. I'm based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I am a personal trainer by day and uh, a podcast also by day. And then it's nap time. I go to bed by night. Uh, I Yeah, so <laughs> my challenge to you is to think about things that you are grateful for. Because in this time when we're in a pandemic is a great time to to do that and i actually have an overarching challenge which i put out in my real talk episodes so if you're listening to this and you're in the mood well you don't have to be in a mood you almost have to be grateful for something i want you to record that in a voice memo and send it to me at chris at invigoratetraining.com in a future episode of real talk i'm gonna put together like 30 of these maybe 40 of these and it's gonna sound really good and it's going to be really heartwarming. But in order for me to do that, I need you to participate. And so send it to my email or you can send it to my social media at Christian Little on Instagram. Thank you for listening. Catch you on the next one.